Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward, a.k.a. Red Sox Dugout, alongside Joey Nagel. How you doing? Doing good. Doing good. Uh, the season's better. over. The season is finally over. Um, to be honest, I really didn't watch much of the last month here because the Red Sox really just spun out. Like They fired Bloom. They knew they were out of contention, and they're like, all right, see you later. We're checked out. They finished um, abysmally bad. Like the the everyone in the lineup just stopped hitting. Verdugo went on an awful dry spell, and the team as a whole. I don't know the exact record. I probably should have looked that up. But I, I got it. Yeah. Um. So in September, <clears throat> they went eight and nineteen. There you go. That is not good. They and they actually finished under five hundred. I feel like I I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast or not. But I remember saying at some point um, they'll miss the playoffs, but there's no way they'll go under 500. Here we are; <laughs> they finish under 500, 78 and 84, so kind of well under 500 too. Um, last place, no playoffs, and it is not a good way to kind of end this season where they they had legit playoff hopes at at one point at various points i mean you all went through it with us throughout the season where we thought they were going to make it in then we didn't then we thought they were then they did then we didn't and just kind of went back and forth until finally nail in the coffin we realized it ain't happening red sox realized that too and they just kind of gave up on the season um we'll get into all of that in a second but unfortunately we do have some sad news that you definitely know by now but um tim wakefield passing away on the day of the last game of the season. It's just, it's awful news. It, I know it caught me off guard, even though earlier in the week, Kurt Schilling um, kind of leaked the the news that Tim Wakefield was battling brain cancer, um, which obviously the Wakefield family didn't want leaked. So that's not great. But um, yeah, it kind of happened really fast and sudden. I know that I was kind of um, a deer in the headlights when I saw the notification on Twitter and it, it's just awful to have someone who's so big in, in Red Sox nation, in the Red Sox community, someone who had a outstanding legendary career for the Boston Red Sox, two world series championships. Um, and then obviously he had such an impact in the Boston community outside the field, outside the park. Like he, he was just a top tier world-class guy. Um, obviously a great analyst on Nesson too. And it's just really unfortunate that he was taken from us so soon. Yeah. Um, I mean, that Tim Wakefield news was obviously very surprising, um, bo- both parts of it. But um, the the passing is obviously something really sad. And I think I speak for <clears throat> just about every kid growing up in the 2000s and early 2010s. I mean, I remember baseball practice throwing – you know, with my throwing partner playing catch, you know, you'd always end with a couple knuckleballs. And um, yeah, yeah uh, you know, now that we've had this time to reflect on Tim Wakefield, I think, uh, you know, he's being appreciated more than I think he got credit for. And he's, you know, he's one of the most important Red Sox players of all time. Um, you know, he he's the all-time leader in innings. And I believe in wins, which is pretty crazy. Like, let's not forget that Tim Wakefield was a really good player. 
and throw in one pitch. Yeah, especially um, for a knuckleballer. Like, that is such a unique type of pitch and type of pitcher. Like, think about all the knuckleballers in Major League history. There's two that come to mind for me, Tim Wakefield and R.A. Dickey. Yeah. And Tim Wakefield, like you said, like, we grew up trying to throw the Tim Wakefield knuckleball. We would watch him on TV. We'd watch the, re- we'd watch the uh, videos on YouTube. We'd try to throw it the way he threw it and try to perfect that, that dancing pitch that he threw so masterfully. Um, and, and then for the past several years, we saw him on Nesson. We've seen him in the booth this year. And it's, it's just sad to see someone go. I believe he was 57 years old. 57. Um, yeah. It's um, tough. And I feel bad watching. We were talking about when we were watching the pregame show with Tom Karen and, and Jim Rice. They were struggling through that. I feel for them. Credit to them for making it through it and the whole Nesson broadcast during the game for making through it. Uh, Tom Karen was saying that when he interviewed for a job at Nesson in 1995, he stayed that night to catch the Sox game. Tim Wakefield was on the mound. Eight and a third innings uh, with that knuckleball, and then Tim Car- Tom Karen got to work with him on Nesson. Everyone, all of his teammates, everyone he worked with at Nesson, everyone throughout the baseball community had nothing but good things to say about him, and not just the player he was, but the person he was and the character that he displayed in all aspects of his life. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, he... He's an eight-time Roberto Clemente Award nominee, which is just unbelievable. That means a lot right there. Yeah, and, you know, he he's one of the most self, selfless people ever. I mean, and he's he's a role model for anyone on and off the field. Um, you know, going to the on-the-field stuff, I think the video that I saw this past week that really, like, was the most impactful to me was when uh, they won the World Series in 2007 and Mike Timlin grabs Wakefield by the shoulder and tells the reporters how proud he is of Tim Wakefield. Because for those who don't know, Wake was struggling in September into October and he gave up his playoff roster spot for the world series and for the betterment of the team so that they could add John Lester. And, um, you know, that, that alone speaks to the kind of person he was. It's incredible. Uh, Yeah. He was one of the, you know, just an absolute pros pro and all the stories that we've gotten to hear over the past week or so have been really awesome. Um, you know, it speaks to the type of person he was and how great of a person we lost. And, you know, off the field, I I think of like Wakefield never, never said no to going to a charity event, never said no mm-hmm. to doing a commercial for the Jimmy fund, the Red Sox foundation, all that stuff. Uh, like, like even this, even last month, he was around Fenway for the Jimmy Phone Radio Telethon, all that stuff. He is he was just an absolute gem of a human being. He was an awesome player, too. Um, yeah, th- this is the first time I think that, you know, we've lost a Red Sox player and it's really hit home because we grew up watching him. So, I mean, he was a, a member of the Red Sox for 17 years, like. He, he transcended generations of Red Sox. He fans. is the Red Sox. He is. And, you know, he's a guy whose number has not been in circulation since he retired. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't sit right with me that they will retire that number. I think we all know that because of how much he's meant to the community and to the team. It just it, it's just a shame that he's not going to be around for it because 
it's the ultimate honor of, of a baseball team to get your number retired and uh, he's more than deserving of it. And it's just sad that he won't be there for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you just think about all different parts of the equation. I, there's not going to be, I don't think another knuckleballer in the MLB who definitely not has, who has the career that Tim Wakefield has. I mean, maybe you'll see, you did see like Steven Wright, he'll pop in, throw some knuckleballs for a couple of years, but the fact that Tim Wakefield was able to successfully throw the knuckleball as his go-to pitch, his his pitch for so many years, win World Series, win just all those games, too. eat innings. It was it's incredible what he was able to do. It's just all around great player, great guy, and, and he'll be missed for sure. Yeah. And you know, we like to talk about how awesome of a of a guy Dustin Pedroia is and how he embodies the Red Sox. Well, Tim Wakefield was the one who took him under his wing when he was a rookie yeah. and showed him the ropes, showed him how to be a professional. And um, yeah, I mean, Tim Wakefield really was Mr. Red Sox because mm-hmm. on and off the field, he embraced the city and embraced the team. And he was all, you know, he wore that Jersey with pride and that was really cool. Uh, shout out to Alex Cora for, um, you know, a really subtle tribute during the last game of the season, everyone in the dugout wearing their Jersey um, as a sign of respect for Tim Wakefield, because, um, you know, that's what he did. He always stayed ready and yeah, gone far too soon. Yeah. At least uh, the Red Sox did end up winning that game. They won it for wake. Um, But yeah, it's too bad. It, It really sucks. And like we said, it was just too soon, very sudden. Um, and he'll be missed for sure. To uh, transition into kind of wrapping up the season and just digesting everything that went down in what was the 2023 Red Sox, um, it, there's a lot to kind of process. There's a lot to look back on because it was very up and down, as you know. There were good moments, bad moments, but there's a lot, I think. I think despite missing the playoffs and having a last place season, there are many good things to take away from it, in my opinion, um, especially with the fact that a there is that vacancy in the GM spot. And so there's going to be a new face getting in, coming in and, and hopefully bringing this team back to a legit contender. I think there's a lot of good things to kind of look at. So let's dive into it. Let's look back at it. Um, First, I want I want to start with kind of bringing back some of our preseason predictions to kind of see see how we did. Uh, spoiler: not great. We did not do great. <laughs> uh, I had the Red Sox record being uh, eighty eight and seventy four, so that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, and Joey, you had eighty four and seventy eight, so you just got it backwards. That's kind of that's kind of impressive in a way. It's not right, yeah. but it's kind of, you got the numbers right in a way. Oh, real quick. I just want to point out how weird it is that the Red Sox finished with the exact same record two years in a row because going oh, back to catch last that. season, yeah, going back to last season, we were like, you know, at the end of last year, we were like, that was the season from hell. There were <laughs> there will never be a season worse than last season. We kind of did the same thing after, you know, like it's so crazy. I told my friend that, uh, betting the Red Sox over on wins yeah. this year was the lock of the century. It was, it was 77 and a half that hit. 
but he got a bad <laughs> barely line. barely he was sweating yeah. that yeah well he got a bad line at 78 and a half he got screwed like you know it, it's crazy because they were you know the red sox for almost the entire season they were hovering around six seven games over 500 and then yeah. we get to september and duran obviously gets hurt crosses gets hurt and then they literally packed it in. They stopped trying. It was unbelievable. It's pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Yeah. So yeah. to all those to all those Red Sox betters out there, uh, sorry about. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, I I really did not think they were going to finish under five hundred. Uh, that really surprised me, especially with the fact that they were rarely under five hundred during the season. Like they they'd get several games above five hundred, and then kind of fall back down near it, hit it sometimes, go a game or two under. But the fact that they finished multiple games under by the end of the season surprises me. But with the way that they played the last month of the season, it makes sense. <laughs> it definitely checks out. Um, some other interesting predictions. I said that Verdugo would get traded, and he wasn't yet. Yet. <laughs> yet. He, will, he will be getting traded. He will yeah. be getting uh joey you said that casas and yoshida will finish top 10 in on base percentage and yep i so that that was i said they were yeah yeah an obp i think it was for the al which casas did yeah and yoshida was top 10 in on base for most of the season until he also sputtered out but yeah so, he really ended poorly too but yeah you also he, had rafi getting uh 90 plus extra base hits so he had 67 yeah, not quite there. <laughs> not quite there, but you know, I'm gonna give myself a little half win on the first one because who would have thought I was bold picking Casas top ten in the in the on base. Um, yeah, no, that was a good call. Uh, I think I think we'll have a more in depth discussion around Casas when we get yeah. to the MVP because we got to decide who the MVP is. We will get to that. Uh, let's let's look at who we predicted the MVP and the other categories to be. I predicted the MVP to be Devers, and so did you. We all did. <laughs> it's a pretty safe all pick. All four of us did. Um, the Cy Young, I had Whitlock, and you had Bayo. So, like, that's that's the best pitcher. Garrett had uh, Kenley Jansen. Alex also had Whitlock. Whitlock disappointed me this year. Really yeah, thought he was going to do a lot better than he did. Um, yeah, well, it was tough because they, you know, the in, you know, he hit the injured list, I think, two or three times, and yeah, he I'm did struggle up with the back injury in a bug. bullpen role, and I mean, we'll. I feel like we'll get more into it over the off season, but it looks His like his pitch selection is not thing. ideal. I blame Dave Bush. Yep, uh, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, was Dave Bush the pitching coach when Whitlock debuted, or yes. was it? Yes. Yes. Damn, he's been around I mean, too long. Well, I, yeah, I I mean, I, I got a bone to pick with the coaching staff in general. I think oh, Dave sure. and Carlos Fables are the two most useless coaches. Like like the They need to be fired. With the new GM, with everything you're trying to do, Fables, see you later. Dave Bush, you can follow him. Fables is your infield coach. What was he doing all season? And then on top of it, when he was coaching third base, yeah, he's it... thinking flyouts or home runs and sending guys. Like Yeah, no. Ugh. Nope. See you. Yeah. Um, um... What is this category? This Most is surprising. Biggest surprise. Best surprise. Yeah. Wow. Three out of the four of us have reached McGuire. Interesting. I, yeah, that's that. That's a whiff, I, I think. Yeah. yeah. He, I he wasn't call... bad. 
but no. I definitely don't think he was surprising or really even that great. You know, for the first like two months when he was hitting like 350, that was surprising. It he was, was following that track. But our backup catcher didn't really turn many heads. <laughs> no. <laughs> Except when he turned his own head um, around in second base and third base. You know what? That was a very surprising moment. And that was true. That was the most Reese surprising McGuire moment of the season. the season. That's surprising. So we kind of nailed that in a way. <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. Garrett had Chris Sale or Adam Duvall. I'll give him that. Adam Duvall was pretty surprisingly good in the in the beginning of the season before he got hurt. And then that one other stretch where he had like an identical um, hot streak. So give yep. him that. Pablo Sandoval Award. Classic. Um, oh, shout out to Alex on this one. We have some interesting picks here. Yeah. I, I don't remember making these. Rymel Tapia has a two-time appearance on this. Both you and I picked him to be the Pablo Sandoval Award winner. He didn't even make it that long to be eligible. No, but that's <laughs> I remember that was my justification for picking him. Like he he'll be DFA'd by season. He's irrelevant. Dead. He's so irrelevant now. So in a way, that's that's good. He was bad. We all knew he was gonna be bad. Yeah, but um, I think we all know who the Actually, so we'll get to that. Don't know that. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, Garrett and Chris Sale, a decent pick. Chris Sale did not really do much, but it, uh, to be fair, I, I know, to be I, fair I, he was good. I was just disappointed that he wasn't great and the fact that he got hurt. I feel like Garrett said he picked him because he, he couldn't stay healthy. So mm -hmm. I, I understand that. That's fair. But, you know, when he was healthy, he was pretty good. Uh, Alex picked Alberto Mondesi. Who? Guy didn't even exist this year. Not once. Not a single. They're like, oh, he's going to be ready by May. He's going to miss, miss one month, maybe a month and a half of the season. Dude didn't show up once. He's probably on, he's, he was on vacation all year. He got paid to do nothing. Didn't. I don't even know if the guy picked up a baseball this year. I, yeah. So I think oh, it was either in May or June. The one notification that we got about Adalberto Mondesi the entire offseason was that he was doing base running in Fort Myers, <laughs> and then they shut him down. So again, I don't even know if he picked up a baseball. That's crazy. I wonder. I wonder. I really wonder. I'm sure we'll get into it this offseason and spring training. Is he going to even have be a factor on the team next year? Like, well, is this up. what is this? He's what up. Got? His contract's up. Oh, great. That was a great transaction. <laughs> Red Sox legend, Alberto Mondesi. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I feel like we should start this backwards naming the uh, awards. So we go Pablo. Yeah, yeah. I like surprise. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think right. this is a heated race. I think this is a heated race between two guys. Two guys. Interesting. Yeah. I got Kike and Kluber. Take your pick. Those were my two guys too. You nailed it. The fact that we're on the same page there that that says that's definitely one of them. Um, it's tough because Kike did not finish out the season with the Red Sox. Corey Kluber I mean, did, but didn't. Kluber got sent to the moon, dude. Yeah, I'm going. Awesome I'm going to officially. Doing. I'm going to officially pick Corey Kluber because because we signed Corey Kluber in the off season to be. The veteran guy. He was our opening day starter. We signed him knowing that Chris Sale wasn't going to be healthy to start out. 
Brian Bale was young and not really proven at the time. And you, James Paxton was hurt too. You didn't have a guy at the front of the rotation. We signed Corey Kluber to be that guy. And he had one of the worst seasons I've really ever seen from a starting pitcher. Like the dude was so awful in an uncharacteristic way. We signed him because he doesn't walk guys. He walks guy after guy after guy. Um, and he would give up homers and he tried moving to the bullpen and he'd come in the game and give up six runs. Like it, he just could not get it working. He was washed up. He was throwing 85 mile per hour meatballs and he ended up going on the phantom IL, the real IL, who knows at this point, he tried coming back. He tried rehabbing and they shut him down because they were like, yeah, this is not happening. We don't need this guy touching our major league team. So the fact that he went from opening day starter to, I don't even know, tossed into a black hole. That's the most disappointing guy. That's the Pablo Sandoval award winner for me. Absolutely. And I, there, there's a lot that goes into it for me because you paid this guy $10 million and by May, you, everybody knew he was cooked. It was in May, it was a conversation of, if if they DFA this guy right now, is he just going to retire? Because that's what it was. That's the <laughs> yeah, reality of it. It's true. Um, and I always think about how the $10 million that you spent on Corey Kluber, plus the amount of money that you ended up under the luxury tax, which I believe was about $6 million under, six and a half. Mm-hmm. Add that together, that's $16.5 million. Nate's getting $17 million out in Texas. You couldn't tell me that you could have you know, made one roster move to clear up that space and keep Nate. And, and he just carved up the Rays in a playoff game today. Yeah, and you know, the, I, I feel like the outlook on this team is a lot different. Yes, Nate did get hurt, but he's when he was here, he was an, he pitched like an ace. And yeah, you know, is it fair to hold that against Corey Kluber? I think a little bit. And also yes. because when, <laughs> when he went out there, it was it was sad because I'll I'll never forget his last appearance with the Red Sox was in Cleveland against the Indians or the Guardians or whatever his former team. And he, I, what was it? He gave up, I think seven straight hits. It was unbelievable. It was batting practice. It was disgusting. It was was really sad. And I, at that time, everybody knew that like when he got pulled, that was like, did Corey Kluber just make his last major league appearance? And I think he did. Um, Yep. Yep. And you know, because of that uh, and also because like gave the sports hub, unlimited ammo for the Red Sox. <laughs> Corey Kluber was your opening day starter. Um, yeah. I, I Corey played... Kluber an opening day, Mike. Corey Kluber. Yeah. Um, bad look, bad deal. Let's yeah, look, let's not do that again. And I, <laughs> I don't think we will. I don't think we will. Now that Heim is gone, that will not be happening again. I guarantee it. Yeah. So there you have it. The Pablo Sandoval award winner, the award for the worst player. Corey Kluber. Woo! Yeah. Um, next up, I, I biggest surprise. Like oh, yep. I feel like Kluber might be, if we had to, we got to go through all of our Pablo Sandoval award winners and power rank them because I feel like he's right at the top, right with Brazier. Well, what about Pablo Sandoval himself? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like that's your big three. Is he above Pablo Sandoval? No, 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 no. no, no. No, 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 we're not naming this. But yeah, I mean, he's above Ryan Brazier. He's above 
Tyler Thornburg, Ryan Weber, whoever we have, it's definitely above them. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. That's bad. All right. Uh, biggest surprise in a good way. Um, I there's one one name that comes right to mind for me. Jaron Duran. Jaron Duran. Yeah. He didn't start in the majors this season. He was a a fourth or fifth outfielder who was stuck in AAA. We lost didn't his really factor him into anything. Tapia. Yeah, Rymel Tapia, the guy that we were just talking about disappearing, he was on this team ahead of Jaron Duran out of spring training. And so no one was even thinking coming into the season that Jaron Duran was going to be a starting outfielder because um, Rymel Tapia took his spot. There was no spot for him. And then lo and behold, Adam Duvall gets hurt. They call up Duran, give him a shot, and the dude explodes. Uh, he batted well over 300 for most of the season. He actually, so he finished as the Red Sox leader in average with a minimum of 82 games played, which I made up myself. Played half the, played more than half the season. Played over 100 games. Uh, batted 295. And like I said, he was well over 300 for a while. I remember he was batting like 380. And he was leading the major leagues in doubles for a while. And he's still, so the doubles leader for the Red Sox was uh, Alex Verdugo with 37. Jaron Duran was close behind, was 34, and Jaron Duran got hurt and missed uh, a significant chunk of time. He also didn't start the year with the team. That says a lot right there. So realistically, Jaron Duran led the team in doubles if you he would have, you know. Um, yep. So, and again, his he was not even going to be on the team. Also, his defense, huge step up in his defense. That was his problem last year, or one of the many problems. He couldn't field. He had the speed. He was inconsistent with the bat, and he couldn't field. This year, consistent with the bat, could field great, above average maybe, and uh, obviously he hit and had the speed. So, huge surprise from Jaron Duran in a great way. Yeah, and this year there was so much growth out of him, both as a player, but also personally because last year he, you know, he came up, he played well, and the second he got into that slump, he lost it. He couldn't get back out of it. He lost his, you know, he lost his, his composure. We all, we all know the Kansas city incident, but this year he, you know, like any, like any baseball player who plays a season, there are going to be multiple slumps and it's important to learn how to get out of those slumps. And he did that. He was able to rebound and, you know, yeah, huge. That's like, besides the stats, that was one of the top things you're looking for out of him. And he did that. Um, and also the stolen bait, it sucks that he got hurt first off because yeah. in 102 games, he had 24 stolen bases, you know, uh, extrapolate that over a full season. You're looking at 40 plus. It sucks that we didn't get to see what that final number was, but like the way that he changes this team when he gets on base, because everyone knows he's going it, that just adds so much value because like we've, we've begged for this in the past when the Red Sox never had speed it's a completely new dynamic that he brings and um defensively at one point he was 99th percentile in outfield jump which is crazy there you go uh just so much that he improved on this year it like he he's got himself a starting outfield spot next year who thought we would have said that after last year when we were talking about trading him it's pretty crazy yep Cy Young, best pitcher. 
There's a few different ways that I could go with this. In my I mind. got one. It's easy. It is easy. Chris Martin should be unanimous. Yeah. One of the best relief seasons of all time in Red Sox history. That's right up there with, with Koji in 13, Papelbon 06. Just one of the best relief seasons ever. He had three war as a relief pitcher. That's ridiculous. Yeah. It it's absurd. Uh you look at his stats for the season 4 and 1 with a 105 ERA. He gave up 103 six runs all year. 6 runs all year in 51 and third innings pitched. He also had 23 holds with that and Obviously, on the surface, you look at the stats, wow, incredible season, one of the best seasons from a Red Sox reliever. But then you also take in the context that the Red Sox severely lacked a lockdown uh, late-inning guy, and they go out, they sign Chris Martin, and he gives you everything you could have asked for and more. So, I mean, yeah, without a doubt, he was the best pitcher for you this season. Um, and... It, there's not a, I can't even put into words how great his season was for us, given all the context and, and given the fact that we needed that. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you paired him with Kenley, the Red Sox bullpen this year was night. It was good. From, it was from good. all the years past, when they led after six innings, you actually believed in them to get it done. And that's because yeah. we had guys like Chris Martin who came in in the eighth inning or the seventh inning to face the middle of the order, and he just blew them away. It was unbelievable. We knew that, you know, when he first signed here, we were excited about it because it was a guy who could throw strikes, which is something that we needed out of our bullpen. And it, it just absolutely spoiled by the season he had this year. It's not, it takes a lot to give a reliever a Cy Young award. He deserves it. It's not For even sure. close. There's no one For else sure. on this staff who comes close. Maybe Kenley. That's it. No. Honorable mention, though. Nick Pavetta. That's what I was going to say. Nicky Nick smooches. Pavetta, yeah, I he doesn't get an award, but I want him to get a little shout out right there. He was once do you again. Know who, uh, do you know who re- led the Red Sox in strikeouts? Nick Pavetta. Nick Pavetta. And he was second in innings pitched, too, behind Brian Bayo. Yeah, and once he started this, once he went to the bullpen and then did the bullpen starting and then back to starting, his K per nine was like 11. It was ridiculous. He was punching yeah, I mean, every night. We thought he was going to be DFA'd or sent down and never seen again. We put him in the bullpen, and he ends up being one of our most valuable pitchers down the yeah. stretch. That's incredible. It's crazy. It's crazy. And um, whether you know whether he has a spot in the rotation next year, I don't know. I don't know about that. What, I don't whatever, know about all that. <laughs> no, no. Personally, I believe like a season like this, you got to strike while the iron's hot. I think he's a very oh, good trade yeah. candidate and you could actually yeah. get something really nice out of him because yeah. he's kind of proven that he deserves to be a starting pitcher in major league baseball again. I don't know if it's here, but what, like what a turnaround he had this season it, it, yeah. in the middle of the season after, you know, complaining a little bit about going to the bullpen, he ultimately became in a way like the Tim Wakefield, the innings eater. You need one of those on a good team. And ultimately this wasn't a good team, but, it goes a long way what he did this year, and it was very impressive. I did not think he was capable of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now it's time for the big one. 
MVP, the most valuable player of the 2023 Boston Red Sox. I changed my answer literally 20 seconds ago, so let's get into it. Um, I would like to say, first of all, that I was fully prepared to pick Chris Martin. I think that there is an argument to be made that he was the most valuable player on this Red Sox team, but we already gave him Cy Young, so I'm going to go a different route. Um, I would also like to say that... Yeah, Rafael Devers is probably the obvious choice, but he is not my pick. He is not mine either. My pick is Justin Turner. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Um I'll I'll let you I'll let you give okay. your explanation and then I'll go into mine. So my pick was Justin Turner, and the reason is you lose Xander Bogarts. He was the leader of your team of your clubhouse and having to replace that guy is no easy task. You have this team that is full of young guys and no real leaders. Raphael Devers is like the guy on your team, but he's young too. So who's going to, who's going to be the veteran voice, the leader that talks to the media and talks to the young guys, takes them under his wing. They signed Justin Turner and everyone's saying, Oh yeah, you're going to love this guy. Little did we know that Justin Turner would be one of the most influential players I've seen signed as a free agent. It's not fully what he did on the field, although he did have a great season, which I'll mention in a second, but the way that he was just a veteran presence, the way that he took guys under his wing, led the team, uh, everything he did again in the community, he is a great guy. So you couple all of the stuff that he does as a person, as a character, with the fact that he batted 276 with 23 homers and 96 RBIs. He was second in RBIs behind just Rafael Devers, at, who had 100. He had 96. He had 800 OPS. So he had a very, very productive season offensively. But then he also was a great veteran leader, too. I think that when you talk about the most valuable player, he was the most valuable player to this, this Red Sox team. I don't think they would have been in contention as long as they were without Justin Turner as the the veteran voice in that clubhouse um the way that he was able to stick up for players and and talk guys through things and do everything that he did probably a ton of stuff that we as fans don't even know about so much stuff behind the scenes he's my most valuable player uh for sure yeah i i I like that and also he for the last two months of the season he did it all on one foot like once again that's a really selfless thing to do he did not want to sit it out for the team. He wanted to help any way he could. And he, who would have thought that Justin Turner would end up being just a mainstay in the middle of the Red Sox order this season? He did yeah. more than we could have ever imagined. He's a good candidate for most surprising. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going to go with my MVP, Tristan Casas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I might be favoring... The, the young guy who's going to be around for a long time. But, um, you know, since May 1st, we all know that April was not kind to him. In April, he hit 133 with a 576 OPS and like three home runs. And but, people wanted him sent down. They wanted Tristan yeah. Casas in AAA. They wanted him out. Yep. And let me tell you, he figured it out. Since May 1st, 107 games. 291 batting average, 385 on base, 531 slug, 917 OPS, 21 homers, 57 ribbies, 18 doubles, two triples. Dude, his wheels. Um, That's good. 
That's good. Those are good stats. Walks. 54 walks in 107 games too. Like he if what he did was unbelievable at at his age at 23 years old. He yeah. learned how to be a major leaguer after the first month of the season. It was unbelievable. He got all the bad stuff out of the way and from May 1st onward, he was I think the best player on the Red Sox, not even close. The 917 OPS speaks for itself. Like the amount of growth that we saw out of him this year, it it makes me excited because we have our cleanup hitter for the next 10 years. This guy is who that is. And I think that he made this lineup a whole lot dynamic too because you pair him with Raphael Devers and you pair him with Justin Turner. It's you deadly. can't pitch around him. You got to pit. Uh, and, and he thrived in that, in that setting. Like quality at bats. That's what he's all about. It was the, the plate presence was there from day one. We talked about that. We we thought in April he was walking too much. That's how like that's how crazy good his plate approach is. Um, but I, I I think he's what turned this lineup into something. He was the X factor. Yeah, especially in mid April when Adam du- when Adam Duvall got hurt in April, Casas picked up the slack and. Um, at that time, when he went down, we thought we were screwed because Duvall was literally the only person in that Red Sox lineup hitting in the month of April, and he goes down. He was our team. He was our whole team he, at that he was point. The, he was the entire team. But after that, Tristan Casas picked up the slack. He was that middle-of-the-order bat that this lineup desperately needed, and I could have gone Justin Turner. I could have gone Raphael Devers for MVP, but... No, I like it. I like it. Mix I'm, it I'm using a little bit. I, I'm incorporating a little bit of foresight into my MVP pick. I'm thinking. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I was gonna say that he's my early pick for next year. Yeah, because maybe I won't pick him next year because I don't want to curse him or anything. But you know, <laughs> like like Devers is obviously gonna be here for the long run, and he's a multi-time MVP winner. I'm a little sick of that. It's boring to pick the same guy year in and year out. But I need him to it, win an American League MVP. That's what's up yeah. next. Yeah. And um, and Justin Turner, like we don't know if he's going to be back next year. Um, you know, I appreciate his time here. It was, it was, it's been awesome. But I give me Tristan Casas. Kid, yeah, kid can swing it. <laughs> kid can swing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you have it. There, your the uh, yeah. There are picks for that. Um, I don't want to get too much into the whole off season because we got time to get into that. We've already talked about it a bit. I do want to just kind of reiterate what are the offseason goals here? I think that upgrading the rotation, that's that's the big number one at the top. The rotation was the weakest part of this team. Going into next year, it's looking to be even weaker because you're probably not going to have James Paxton. Tanner Houck and Garrett Whitlock should be in the bullpen. I think that's that's the best place for them. Um, and so you really don't have a lot of starters. You have Bayo for sure. That's a lock. Chris Sale. Maybe you trade him. That's been floated around. That could happen. So there's not Cutter Crawford. I don't know. There's not really a lot of solid pieces in this rotation. So that is the area that needs to be addressed most. Um, we also have questions from listeners, by the way, and we'll get we can get into some of that with those. We need, I think, another spark in the offense, especially if Justin Turner leaves. You need a guy who can. You have Devers. You have Casas. You have Durant at the top, Yoshida somewhere up there. You need another power bat that can mash, especially if Adam Duvall leaves too. That's another 
uh, reason to get a spark in the offense, a, a big uh, a big bat. I mean, yeah, you'll have Trevor Story, but he was not really great this season um, in the short time that he played. And so I think you just need another spark in the offense. Um, I don't think the offense is really too concerning because they were good this season and they have some some good players for sure. But I think another spark would be good. Um, but also extending the spark you do have, Tristan Casas, get an extension done with them. You do not want to go through another Xander Bogart situation. You do not want to push it as long as you push Devers. Casas is going to, he's going to be good for a long time. Keep him here while he's good. Yeah, same with Bale. Um, yes. You you don't even want another Raphael Devers situation when you prolong it all the way to the last year and you end up having to pay way more than you would have had Do it to. now. You've just been proactive about it. Do it and, now. Um, Look at the Braves. Do it now. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about it like when we get to the front office, but I think that the people in this front office, and including Alex Cora, they're able to to recognize that these guys need to be here for the long run. And just by extending them, I think that goes a long way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I would say the biggest need is definitely starting pitching. And that doesn't come cheap. We know that. And I'm glad that now that Bloom is gone, I, I have more confidence in them to open up the checkbook and spend big money on proven starters rather than these reclamation projects like James Paxton, yeah. Corey Kluber, Garrett Richards, you know, um yeah like uh this offseason i think i think i think it's yamamoto or bust really i think he's a perfect fit for this rotation perfect fit for this city um but you would have to pair him with some someone else and we've heard aaron nola floated jordan montgomery who's someone i like i think i like if that you brought in like hypothetically if you were to bring in jordan montgomery and yamamoto that rotation immediately becomes a, a whole lot better. Um, but it, And if you plan on bring, bringing back Chris Hill, you might need another arm because you can't necessarily trust that he'll be healthy for the rest of the year. Um, another spark in the offense, I, I agree, especially now, like we talked about it uh, midseason that, you know, we'd love to have Duvall back, but is there even going to be a spot for him because of how crowded this outfield is getting? Um, we'll talk about, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces, including some guys who are definitely going to go some guys that you'd like to keep some guys that you could trade, um, <coughs> for Dugo. <coughs> yeah. Um, I feel like if, if you wanted to replace Justin Turner with a younger version of Justin Turner and keep Yoshida in the outfield, most of the time you go after Reese Hoskins, he's a free agent, mm, love Reese Hoskins, fiery guy. Big bat. He was meant to play at Fenway. He's one of those dead pole guys. Um, but yeah, we can get more into like specific targets later. Um, but yeah, yeah, like depth is a pretty normal offseason thing. You got to add a couple. Oh, like, I, I love where the bullpen's at, I got to say, because Martin and Kenley are coming back. And if you have Winkowski, Schreiber, Hauk, Whitlock, you have all those guys out in the pen. You're gonna be in. You're gonna be in a good spot. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like we know, you can never have enough pitching. So, I, I'm glad. I I'm very hopeful that this new regime in the front office will be willing to invest in starting pitching, which is extremely important. Yeah. I know we have uh, questions about 
who the new GM should be. So I'll save that for those. Um, one thing that I forgot that I do want to mention is I do want to just give some shout outs to a few players who um, deserve some credit for what they did this season. Rob Ref Snyder, what he did against left-handed pitch, left-handed pitching this season was outstanding. He finished with a 308. This is against left-handers only. 308 average, 428 on base percentage, 828 OPS. Dude crushed lefties. That was his job here. That was his role with the Red Sox to hit lefties, and that is what he did. I felt like every time he faced a lefty, he was going to get a hit. He won me some money on several bets with that exact thing. So shout out to Rob for doing that. Pablo Reyes. This is a guy that we got from nowhere. Uh, 287 average, 716 OPS, and then one of my favorite moments of the season, that iconic Grand Slam where he's screaming in the yellow jerseys. That was awesome. Um, You just mentioned him, Josh Winkowski. Again, a guy that we didn't really think was going to have a role with this team. He ends up being a stud in the bullpen. In 60 games, he was 4-4 four and four with a 288 ERA, 142 whip, 19 holds. So when you look at the guys who are setting up Kenley in the bullpen, it was Chris Martin, and then next up was Josh Winkowski, which is not something I saw coming at all. Again, another guy who could have been a candidate for the most surprising. Um, yeah, so that incredible from Winkowski. And then one final one, Cutter Crawford who, again, we didn't know if was going to have a role with the team. He ends up making 23 starts after we realized that we don't have a lot of rotation depth and need him to step up after some injuries. And he had a 451 ERA as a starter, 404 overall, and a 119 whip as a starter. He pitched over 100 innings, 107 and two-thirds, had a 6-7 and seven win-loss record. Uh, believe it or not, when you look at who had the lowest ERA of the Red Sox starters, it was Cutter Crawford at 404. That's his total season ERA 404. His starter ERA was 451, so it's a little different. But still, major credit to Cutter Crawford for being as reliable as he was um, as the next man up in the rotation. Yeah, and also a big shout out to Willier Abreu. Yes. Um, you know, when. I think when that Vasquez trade happened, we were a lot more excited about Valdez, but ultimately I think Abreu is a much better player. And uh, th- this guy might be a start, your starting right fielder on opening day. And I have no problems with it. The bat plays, hit over 350, hit some moon shots. He's a vicious swing. I love what I've seen so far. The defense is pretty solid out there. He can hold his own. Um but I, they might have found a gem with Willier Abreu. I'm excited for what he can do. And, you know, you mix that with Rafaela, who was, you know, pretty solid when he came up this year for his cup of coffee. Like, there's a lot to be excited for, especially in that outfield. Um, a very young outfield. And uh, whichever direction they want to go, I'm – I'm all for it. Like at this point, it's a foregone conclusion that Alex Verdugo is getting traded. If you told me that William Brave is going to replace him, I'm fine with it. Definitely, absolutely. Uh, before we get to the questions, SeatGeek is the best ticket provider out there for all sports, concerts, shows, and more. They make buying tickets easy by grading every ticket price, so you know you're getting the best deal. And they provide a view from your seat, so you can pick the perfect seats to any event. And you can get $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek by using the promo code DUGOUT. D-U-G-O-U-T. Don't waste your money on a Pats game. True. Uh, do Bruins. Anything. 
Bruins. Celtics. Bruins Celtics. and Celtics. They're coming. All right. Oh, Got to breathe. Questions. Uh, I'm not going to do the ones that we've already kind of touched because uh, we did that. Let's see. Who do you think our biggest offseason acquisition is going to be? Let's go with what position we think it's going to be. Starting pitching. It has Starting to. pitching. Maybe that was too obvious. I don't know. Yeah. I um, think I think it's going to be a trade, not a signing. Yeah. I I don't mind that. I, I think that obviously we talked about how a lot needs to be done with that rotation. And it can't all be solved through free agency. I would love, love a, a, another starting pitcher in a trade. Corbin Burns. Yep. Um, that, that would be cool. Uh, that one was from Reed S six. Uh, uh, I mean, Yamamoto is going to be getting two fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He I don't could. know. I don't know enough about him. I know you're big on him. I need to He's get. Nasty. I need to research that. This one from Ethan Taylor. What do you think happens? Can we compete next year? Yeah, I think we're absolutely going to compete next year. I hope it's not wishful thinking. I think with the new GM, the pieces that we already have in place, the willingness to go out there, hopefully, and spend and and deal some prospects and build this team up. I think we're going to compete. I, I think firing Heim Bloom was the first sign of that. I think that this team wasn't even that far from competing. I know they missed the playoffs and were in last place, but it was the best division in baseball um, with some better pitching in the rotation, some better defense, please figure it out. Do whatever it takes to make the defense actually competent. I think you get those done. We have a good offense, some very good young players, I would be shocked if we're not a competitive team next year. Yeah. If you added starting pitching and just league average defense to the, this year's team, that's a team that can compete. So um, I also heard that a p- potential motive for competing next year is that it's the 20 year anniversary of 2004 and John Henry is going to be more willing to spend. Good. I don't know if that's reading too much into it, but you know, if that's what gets them to compete, that's what gets whatever it takes, whatever it whatever takes. It's one from Dominic. I like this one. Does Bobby Dahlbeck have a future with the Red Sox? No, it's a good question. I don't think he does. We saw him at the end of the year and he, he played well to his credit. Yeah. He looked good. And he was the Woo Sox MVP this year, the too. Woo Sox MVP. How about it? Oh, what a legendary string. You got <laughs> Rusne Castillo, Franchi Cordero and Big Bob. It's incredible. Legendary. Um, I think his future is uh, being a trade piece. Yeah, but it's nice that he obviously had a fantastic minor league season, but Mm -hmm. he came back up to the big leagues at the end and played solid, which he did his thing. Yeah, it adds a little bit to his value. You might be able to get something for him. So um, Bob definitely deserves a major league roster spot. One uh, on one of. 30 teams league wide. I just don't think it's here, especially Trist- with Tristan Casas. And that's the thing too. There's no there's place. Just not, for him. There's just not a place for him. They're putting him at shortstop. They're putting him in the outfield. Like it's just, there's no fit. So yeah. Uh, all right. Here's the big question from Kevin. Ideal GM hiring. Well, ideal would be Theo. A realistic ideal. Yeah, realistic. <laughs> um, Given the options. Because just today, Mike Hazen, he was my top pick. He got extended for 2028 with the Diamondbacks. Um, It's tough. We've heard a lot about Kim Ang, uh, GM of the Marlins. She would not be a bad pick either. 
I think she's very good at what she does. Um, but I don't – the more that the Red Sox have talked about it, and they, they've held their cards very close to them. They haven't given away much. They also well, – I mean, they made it clear that they're going to do a very thorough and broad search too, so they're going to take yeah. their time with this. But the fact that they – like it's very obvious that Alex Cora holds a lot of power, more power than just about any other manager does league wide. Yeah. So that that makes me think like he's going to have a say in who gets hired. That has been made public. He is going to be in the interview process, and that that makes me think that they may be leaning more internal, promoting someone. Um, you know, Eddie Romero is the the number one name that's been mentioned. Also Raquel Ferreira, but. If you told me that Eddie is going to be your GM for a few years and, you know, maybe a couple of years from now, Alex Cora transitions to that role, I would be perfectly fine with it. Alex Cora worked best with Dave Dombrowski, who was a GM, who when Alex Cora came to him asking for something, Dombrowski went out and did it. If Alex Cora, he asked for starting pitching, Dave Dombrowski went and got it. Um, Yeah. I think if you promote Eddie, he's been here for 18 years um, in the Red Sox organization. He was the director of international scouting for a really long time. So he obviously knows what player development is like. He knows. Sorry to interrupt, but I just want to say he helped the Red Sox sign Devers, Rafaela, and Brian Bayo. That's pretty significant. Been here since 2006. So he was under Theo, Charrington, Dabrowski, and Bloom. So. Yeah. Um, and he was also significant in the extension of Devers. He was one of the guys who flew down this offseason to get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if Eddie gets the promotion from assistant GM to GM, I think that would be great. I, I think it's I think it's a fine move. And it means that Alex Cora, who complained a lot about roster construction this year, it means that he basically gets to build that roster through Eddie. Um, yeah, I mean, you're talking about that connection between Cora and Romero. Cora was asked about it, and he said, out of respect for Haim, uh, he doesn't want to talk about it, but he said that Romero's been in the organization for a lot of years. He knows the game, obviously educated, well-prepared, and he's been surrounded by quality people. He's a good baseball man. That's what Cora said about it. So yeah. if you're talking about who Alex Cora wants to be the guy, I could see him wanting Romero, and I could see that being the fit. That's honestly, that's my top pick too. He knows the team. He knows the system. He's been there through World Series championships. He's, and like Corey said, he knows baseball. He's a good baseball mind. He Devers, Rafael Abeo, those are good players that he saw the foresight. He had the foresight to see them as potential pieces for this team. Um, and, you know, when you bring in a new guy, it takes time to learn the players and learn the staff and all that. Romero has been here longer than most of these guys, so he knows this team in and out. That's my pick. Yeah, his fingerprints are all over this team, like we mentioned. And um, I think, you know, if they don't go that route, the Red Sox want someone with experience. He has that. He doesn't have the experience maybe in making trades. We don't really know that. But, you know, in order to have a good offseason season. This offseason, you need a guy who has relationships with agents and GMs across the league. We don't really know if Eddie does, but I think through a collective effort, if Alex Cora gets to have a big say in how this roster is built 
um, and Eddie has, you know, financial freedom to do so, I think he's a great candidate. And, um, you know, the Red Sox have a history of promoting internally. Ben Charrington yeah, was promoted internally. So was Theo. Um, and, you know, an outside hire is a risk. But, you know, the headline, if they go with Eddie, the headline is going to be, oh, how could the Red Sox go with a first year guy? They need to turn it around now. They'll the get reality some heat is, for it. Yeah. Well, the reality is that Eddie is not a, he's not really a first year guy. He's been the assistant GM for a number of years now. He's no Heim Bloom. Heim Bloom was the risk. Heim Bloom was taking a chance on a guy who was unproven. Romero's not really that. He's been around. He's like, yeah, he hasn't been the front GM, but he's been around baseball. He's been with the Red Sox in 2006. He's been a part of big things and seen some pros do it. He's seen Dombrowski. He's seen Theo. He's seen them do their thing, and he played a role in their thing. He He contributed. He scouted. He put his his hat in the ring he put his opinion out there so he he's been around and he knows what he's doing I, I don't think that lack of experience is that much of an issue for him I think he'll adjust to some of the new titles quickly um but yeah I, I like him there's no Dave Dombrowski type guy out there that you're gonna get like you did you don't even um, want necessarily a Dave Dombrowski right. but you also don't want a Heim Bloom you need to find that middle ground yeah. and it's so hard to find someone like that on the open market or lure someone away yeah. like it's is tough. Romero your top pick too yes yeah as of right now yes I and I think they also mentioned that they want to potentially bring in multiple people for for that role so if I don't hate that you, you, you promote, say you promote Romero team. and you have that guy who's been with the organization and then you bring in another outside guy I think that's a good combo for sure yeah um and that's when that's where Sam Fold's name has been thrown up a bit. He's been he's thrown around Brown. a lot with the yeah. Red Sox. He well, he was a candidate for manager back before they even hired Cora. Um, yeah, it was between him smart. and Cora and some other guys. Yeah, he's a very smart guy. Um, he's Dave Dombrowski's right hand man out in Philly, which is interesting because Sam Fold, former Ray, he's an analytics guy. He's one. He's kind of yes. become one of the nerds, but he's worked in a big market next to a big spender like Dave Dombrowski and been his top consultant. So yeah. if you could bring someone like him in to potentially fill the assistant GM role here with Eddie at the top, I think that's a good mix. Yeah. My, uh, my sleeper pick, I was talking about this before we recorded Brandon Gomes. He's a former reliever in the majors. He's only 39 right now, but he's been with the Dodgers recently. And there's, I don't think there's a better front office to kind of look at maybe the Braves. Um, but aside from them, the Dodgers is, is up there for sure. And he's been there uh, working directly under Andrew Friedman. He is from, from Fall River, Massachusetts. So he's a hometown guy. The connection to the Red Sox is there. He um, is thought to be a rising star, according to Ian Brown, in the front office uh, world. So I think he could be a good sleeper option. Um, one other guy is Chris Antonetti. He was named the executive of the year in the MLB last season uh, with Cleveland. So I think he's a good good pick too. Um, he's been around for a while too since working with the Expos in 1998. So I he's think when you're looking at... too. He's 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 got those... I didn't know that. Ties. Yeah. There you go. Local ties. So I think he's a good pick for sure. When you look at guys with the most experience, like we said how there's not a Dave Dombrowski type, 
when you look at experience, I think he's the closest to it out of these these options that we're given here. Yeah, um, in a dream world, Antonetti would be great, but I don't think that he wants to leave Cleveland. I, I'm pretty sure that I would want to leave Cleveland. Who wants to stay in Ohio? I know, I know. And <laughs> like, in at the end of the day, like this is the Boston Red Sox. I've talked about it before. Hey, come on. Come on. This situation, you're coming into a very good situation. You're coming into a top five farm system with basically an open checkbook to spend. And it's an ideal situation, one of, really. One of the best managers in the game, Alex Cora. Yeah. Um, and it's and not let's like not forget, let's not forget that the Red Sox were one of the best teams in the past two decades. So yeah, yeah, but also a lot of last place finishes. But that's don't don't um, worry about that. It's either first or last. We know that there's no in between. It's okay. interesting <laughs> because I almost kind of wish that the Red Sox could have kept Heim Bloom on. No, wrong. And... Yes, you make him director. <laughs> you make him like the minor league director. So that you can keep replenishing that farm system. Yeah, but that's such a slap in the face to him. Team. No, I know, which is why it was. That's never like when happen. they made um, oh, what was Ruben Amaro Jr. when he went went from GM to first base coach. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I forgot. About that. that was one of the wildest things I can remember. That was no. <laughs> Imagine Dave Dombrowski coaching first base <laughs> or Heim Bloom even. I know Ruben Amaro Jr. is a former player, so it's different, but still. Still, really what a slap in the DM face. The first base coach, <laughs> not even third base coach, first base coach. You you just uh, get to collect the shin guards and elbow pads. That's all. Yeah, and say back, back, back. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Do we keep Verdugo? Oh. Should Heim Bloom be our first base coach next year? I'm gonna go with no, no, no. Theo. Next question: Do we keep Verdugo from? Uh, uh, Absolutely uh, not. Don't finish Krucha. it. Absolutely not. No, he's out the door. The second that he there's said, the second that he Peace. after being benched for the second time, he said, "Oh, there's only seven weeks left." The second he said that, he was out the door. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a player lose the good graces of fans as quickly as Verdugo did because, like, very oh, quickly, like. You know, the first month of the season, he was one of the hottest hitters on the team. Through May, we're talking about the extension and how he absolutely deserves it. He should be an all-star. And then after May, he just completely fell off a cliff. And yeah. not only did he not perform, he was a bit of a clubhouse cancer. That he was a problem. He was a problem for sure. And um, I've seen, you know, there have been things that come out that have came out recently that have called into the, into question his work ethic. Obviously, there was the issues with showing up late every day. It's a problem. I don't want him here, but he's still a good player at the end of the day, and you can get but, something for him. Yes, but he's inconsistent. So when you have a player who is a clubhouse problem and his work ethic is an issue, and then he's also not like a super consistent player, like, yeah, he he's consistent in some ways, um, and he's good in some ways. I just don't think it's worth it, especially with whatever you're going to have to pay him, whether it's 17 million a year, whatever he's going to get. I think it, I'd rather have a guy for 4 million a year. I'd rather have Willier Abreu for whatever he is going to make at league minimum. I would of, rather uh, platoon Duvall. Adam Duvall and Willier Abreu for yeah. half the price. I mean, you got, you got Duran, he's going to be starting. And then you have some combination of Rafaela, Abreu, Yoshida, maybe Duvall, maybe some outside guy. I think all of that's better. We just don't need Verdugo. Yeah. He made the, you know, like by doing all of this, he made the decision 
with the crowded outfield a lot easier. He pushed it's himself out. Less, he did. It, it's one less guy to think about. I don't yeah. think. Yeah, ultimately, I don't really think he he wants to be here anymore. And um, you know, it's too bad because he, like, he was a fan favorite. I don't yeah. think he is anymore. And it's not my favorite. I, I, <laughs> it was just surprising to see how how quickly he lost the good graces of fans. Yeah. Speaking of the outfield, question from Neil: Should the Red Sox sign Juan Soto? That would be awesome. I don't know. Yeah, he's a great player. Of course, you'd want to have him, but it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and it's another left-handed bat. You already have Devers, Casas, Yoshida, Duran at Fenway Park too. You need another. You need a righty in there. Yeah, and it would like that's a game-changing move. Doesn't fit. It doesn't. That money needs to be allocated to starting pitching. Yeah, you need to spend that money in the starting rotation for sure. I'd be more interested in his teammate Blake Snell. Yes, 100%. I would love to have Blake Snell here. He's going to cost a ton after he wins the Cy Young, but I'd love to have him here. Yeah. Uh, will the Red Sox actually go out and make moves now that Bloom is out? Yes. I, we've yes. talked about that. Yes. Yep. They, yep. They have to. And um, also, um, the end of, like, obviously, September sucked. You go 8 and 19. That's not fun. But it, it didn't hurt as much as last year because Bloom was fired. Like I that was, was the win happy. right there. Yeah. Yeah. I was just happy that the move was made. It was done. Once that move happened, the rest of the season didn't matter because you're not making the playoffs, but you're not, you know, it, it at the end of the day, it didn't matter if you won games because there was no one at the helm. There was no one to blame anymore. Right. Which ultimately is a good thing. I think that's another reason why that they just kind of punted, but it, it made it, it made the end of the season a lot more bearable. You didn't really have to care as much about the games because you're not playing for record, playing for pride anymore. Yeah. We have a ton of questions, so I'm going to try to keep moving here. This one, uh, when addressing pitching, when we go for starting pitchers, do we move guys like uh, Hauk and Whitlock to the bullpen? Yeah. we. I know we touched on that, but I think that Tanner Hauk can be a very dangerous weapon in the bullpen. Garrett Whitlock has shown that he can't really be that effective in the starting rotation. And we saw what he could do in the, in the um, bullpen. So if you commit to that and you're like, all right, Whitlock, you're a reliever and he has time to get his head into that role. I think he can get back to being a very dominant pitcher um, in the bullpen. I don't think that he has a spot in the rotation. Yep. <laughs> this one from Noah. Do you think that we pull Otani? No, no. It would be interesting if Otani was healthy, I think, because you'd still get like the starting pitching upside, but yeah. You're not gonna pay so much money. All that so money, much to money. DH for one year. So like, much. You, you lose a year of a prime starting pitcher, and it just yeah. it doesn't help the team in the short term either. So what is Yoshida's future? That one from Nate. DH I saw this. I saw this. A lot of people are talking about trading Yoshida. You don't sign a guy what? for five years huh? and trade him after one. You can't do that. He's just gonna get better as he gets more adjusted to the league I, and finally figures out how to get through jet lag. He's gonna be dangerous. Yeah, like I get that the end of the season wasn't great, but it think about it. This guy just moved to the United States from Japan, who is like 13 hours ahead. It's hard and to do. 
he also like he played in the World Baseball Classic right before the season began. He didn't get a spring training with the Red Sox. He had the he went to spring training yeah. for a week, left to go back to Japan, then came back stateside. Yep. No, he's fun. he's gonna be on the Red Sox. He's a good player. No question he's a good about player. that. Um, but do you put him as a DH or keep him in the outfield? I think that um, my DH personal is answer is like seventy percent DH, thirty percent field. Yeah, like, like you don't JD. want a guy more than JD though, because oh, JD you didn't really want in the field. Yoshida like is better than in, JD back in like eighteen though, when JD yeah. was playing the outfield once or twice a week. Yeah, you don't want him as an everyday DH. You want that flexibility. Um, but I think primarily majority of the time DH is the better fit. Plus again, we talked about all the different options you have in the outfield who are more athletic and better defensively and all that. So it just kind of fits naturally, especially if Justin Turner doesn't return, um, you have that DH open anyways. It's not like you're getting rid of a guy for it. So I think that's the best fit for him. Uh, if we were to target a big name pitcher, who would you most want? I mine's Moto. yours is Yamamoto. Mine is yeah. Corbin Burns. I think. Uh, I think I would, Blake Snell's a good one too. I would happily Blake welcome Blake Snell. Snell into the into the Boston Red Sox. Um, let's see if we got anything else. Ah, uh, this one from Shankar. Twenty twenty four World Series champs. You said it, not me. Hey, Sox kit. Sox. Uh, that'll do it for those questions. Um, anything else you want to? Oh, real quick, how about how about some picks for the World Series champs this year? Um, the easy answer is the Braves, but I am gonna go with the Phillies. I like it. I like what the Phillies have going on. The I like Phillies it. are an electric factory. I don't like Philadelphia. I don't like the people there. I don't like the sports teams there. But the it Phillies, tough, I can get man. behind because Bryce Harper is the man. And he deserves Kyle Schwarber. A- Great. Yeah. Great Turner. Like Who do you Love think it. they beat? Who are they playing? In a perfect world, I think a Phillies Orioles World Series would be mm. so sick. But give me the Rangers. That would be cool too. I would like that. To make the World Series or to win it? Just just to make the World Series. Okay. I don't think I may be biased because I really like their players and the team. But the Braves, it, it, I like the Braves a lot. I think that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I. It's gonna be the Braves. I think. It's, yeah, I think the Braves are gonna do it. But if and if if it's not them, I think it's the Phillies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those are all I think great teams to root for. The Orioles have such a great story. The Phillies have a great story. The Rangers, it's. I mean, I'm and sure the Braves the have some of the best players find their ever. Way so. back into the World Series again too. The so. Astros better be eliminated immediately. I don't want to see them. I don't. I'm glad the Rays are gone. They got swept. See you later. Now I need the the Astros to get out of there too, and we can have a great postseason. Twins, uh, Diamondbacks. I like the Diamondbacks too. Tori Lavello's crew. I don't like the Twins. I don't. I don't care for no, them. That would be like the weirdest World Series ever. <laughs> it would be so twins, weird. Twins, yeah. Diamondbacks. Yeah. All right. Um, one final note. I just want to thank uh, at the conclusion of another season here, all of our listeners for uh, sticking with us and tuning in, submitting their questions as they do and, and just listening, supporting us. We really appreciate it. Um, I know we're a little inconsistent here to finish out the year, but um, 
I think we have some big things in store for next season. We're going to kind of reshift some things and, and kind of go all in on it. And uh, I'm excited for what we have in store with a um, hopefully much better Red Sox team to talk about too. So I'm excited. Yup. Yup. <laughs> it's much easier to, to do a weekly pod when your team is good. When and we not. care enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when they're fun to watch and we actually want to show up to talk yep. about them. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week on the In the Deck Out podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See you. Bye.